This morning I'm going to read from 1 John 3, 16 to 24. The way we came to know love was that he laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If someone who has worldly means sees a brother in need and refuses him compassion, how can the love of God remain in him? Children, let us love not the word or speech, but indeed in truth. Now this is how we shall know that we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts before him. And whatever our hearts condemn, for God is greater than our hearts and knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence in God and receive from him whatever we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And his commandment is this, we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who can keep his commandments remain in him and he in them. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit that he gave us. And this is Acts 4. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captains of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them and, since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. 
So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. Thank you, too, for reading scripture for us today. You know, sometimes I wish I could have been there. <laughs> like, I would have loved to have seen these discussions taking place. And I got to tell you, you know, the leader's reaction to Peter and John teaching, you know, at first glance, it seems really kind of strange. These leaders in the Jewish community go and they interrupt Peter and John. So they're, they're making a scene, a spectacle of it, right? Like, it's not, well, we'll just wait till they're done and pull them aside so nobody notices. They go and they interrupt the speaking in front of these crowds. And they, they're explaining 
why this miracle of healing a lame beggar happened to the crowds. And they're talking about Jesus. And so they don't just, the, these leaders don't just interrupt. They seize Peter and John, we're told, and throw them in jail overnight. And, and that word seize doesn't just mean they grabbed. In, in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, the word for seize is more than just to take hold of something. It's very much a hostile, aggressive term. They're really going after these two. So what was the problem? I mean, don't you think these leaders should, should be celebrating? A miracle happened. This man's able to walk. What's the problem? The problem was Peter and John were teaching people. We read in verse 2 about the leaders. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So why does this upset them so much? I think there's, there's two reasons why the leaders are so upset. First, because Peter and John are sharing their faith and people are turning their lives over to Jesus. If everybody had been ignoring Peter and John, if they'd just been standing on the street corner talking and preaching and everybody had been walking by and everyone ignoring them, I don't think there would have been an issue. The people are stopping and listening. They've seen the miracle or they heard about it just happening. And so they're coming and they're hearing. And they're drawing, Peter and John are drawing these crowds. And the crowds are believing. And we're told, I think it's in verse 4, that the followers of Jesus now include over 5,000 people. The second reason they're upset is because the Sadducees were involved and were leaders. And they denied there was any resurrection of the dead at all. This is what they were taught. One of the signature things they were known for. And they're the ones in charge. They're the leaders. And they're the ones that tell people what to believe. And now there's some people, uneducated people, preaching something different. And these leaders were threatened. No matter how many lame beggars are healed in the name of Jesus, a man who died and rose from the grave, they are not going to change their views about there being no resurrection from the dead. They're holding on tight to what they believe. And they're not willing to consider anything else. In fact, they become quite hostile to Peter and John, throwing them in jail, seizing them from the crowd, as we said, in the middle of their speaking. They were so threatened by what these two men were teaching, they couldn't even wait. Who cares about the beggar who walks? The leaders are holding on so tight to what they believe and they don't want to let go. They're not willing to consider anything other than their point of view. I think we can initially say, if, you, if you've read the Gospels a bit, well, you know, those leaders, they're just like that. We've read about them in the Gospels and they're all like that. We see it with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and religious leaders again and again in Scripture. And we say, well, that's them. But that's not us, because we have Jesus. We're on Team Jesus, right? That's not us. But if I'm honest, I get it. 
I get how those leaders are like that. Time and time again in life, I find myself holding on tight onto something, not wanting it to change or wanting it to prove my view wrong or I, I don't want anything to challenge me. I want to hold on and control something. I want to be right. I have to be right. We see it again and again in our world as people hold tight to their different views and their different perspectives and their different political opinions. And we hold tight rather than listen and consider. And then we see polarization and a division as a result. Do you ever do this? Do you ever hold on tight? Hold on to something so tight that you might be missing out on something important? That you might be missing on an opportunity? That you might be missing hearing what someone else is saying that you need to hear? Could you be holding on so tight that you're missing loving someone? That you're missing a bigger picture than what you're holding on to? If we're honest, we do this as a church. I've experienced it in every church I've been in. Yes, that includes this one. And if I'm honest, I've probably been a part of it. Holding on tight. We want to keep things a certain way. We want to look and behave exactly the way we want. We resist change because it challenges what we want and what we expect, no matter how good the change may be. Or we hold on tight to a change having to happen, and we're not willing to engage that there's a possibility there's value in what was. Both sides. Holding on tight. Have you ever said we can't change something? Or have you ever said, hey, that's how we've always done it and it works for us, so we don't need to change it? Anybody? Or is it just me? Because that's holding on tight. And pastors are great at holding on tight as well. And we sometimes let our personal life overlap with our role. I, I, I know some pastors who will tell their church, you have to vote this person if you're a Christian. Because they're holding on tight. That's not holding on too tight, is it? And you'll notice I don't do that. I need to tell you, these past few years, again and again and again, I just have to keep letting go because I find myself wanting to hold on to something too tight. And no matter how many times I let go of something I'm holding on to too tight, it never seems to get any easier letting go. <laughs> I want some control in my life. <laughs> Anybody else relate with that? 
And so I'm holding on tight. But there's a problem for holding on too tight. If we're busy holding on to things from this world, when we hold on to our answers, our views, our ways, our wishes, when we hold on to those so tight, we start to ignore the Holy Spirit trying to lead and guide us. We ignore what God is saying unless it fits our expectations and understanding. Or we say our expectations are what God wants and we project it onto God. If we're holding on too tight, there's not space for the Spirit to lead and guide us in our life. I think there's only three things Maybe four that we need to hold on to tightly. First, we hold on that there is only one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. We hold on to that tight, and we don't let go of that truth. We hold on to the truth of the gospel that Jesus is the Son of God sent to earth to die for our sins and he arose again, ascended to heaven and will one day return. We hold on to that truth. And we hold on to that we have the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. As we hold on to that gospel truth. And then third... We hold on to the word of God as a foundation for our understanding who God is, how God loves us, and how God is working in this world and what God's plans are for this world. We hold on to those three things. Now, I said perhaps four. So this one maybe flows more out of the first three. I think we hold on to the community of faith and unity in the community of faith. We hold on to that. And that comes out of God's love for us and out of Scripture and out of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. When we talk about holding on to Jesus, that means we're choosing to follow him and are letting go of the things that we're holding on to too tightly. And we're trusting God. That's what Peter and John do. They're treated horribly. But they're not holding tight onto their freedom. They're not holding tight, arguing with those arresting them. How dare you interrupt our message? We're not done yet, sirs. They don't say that. Instead, since they're not holding on tight, they go with it. And they just proclaim Jesus in a different place to a different group of people. They proclaim Jesus to the people who arrest them. It's not what they expected. But they're open to it because they're not holding on tight. And they're open to it even if it means challenges and hardship. But they don't just proclaim Jesus. 
Do you notice that they change the conversation as well? They don't get their backs up with the conversation that happens. Since they're only holding on to Jesus, that's all they're worried about. They're wholeheartedly loving Jesus and not the things of this world. They use the opportunity to answer the the question they're asked and not just answer it, but then present who Jesus is. They're all in. When we hold tight onto things in the world, we live the world's way. But when we go all in on Jesus, when we wholeheartedly want to love and serve him, we let go of the things in this world that we're holding tightly to, things like money and power and our reputation and comforts and privileges and fitting in. We let go of all those things. It doesn't mean we don't have them. It doesn't mean there aren't going to be some people who are wealthy and some who are poor. It just means we don't hold tight on that and let it run our life and dictate who we are and what we do and everything. We let go of that power and that control in our life. We don't let them determine our life. You know, I think God's greatest gift to me was leading me away from being rich. (laughs) I kid you not. I had the opportunity. I worked at Dairy Queen for eight years, and people will ask, Snicker, oh, you worked at Dairy Queen. People always look at me strange like that. I was given the opportunity to have ownership of two of the busiest Dairy Queens in Canada that are probably worth about four to five million dollars a piece right now. And I was going to be given ownership without any buy-in. And over a series of years, I would get full ownership of one of the stores. And the other person I was working with would get the other one. I would have been so well off financially. But I don't think I'd have my family today. I think God knows me well enough that I can't be wealthy. I would hold on too tight. And I'm thankful that God didn't put me in that spot and he called me into ministry instead. He knew the temptation I would have faced. I didn't have to go down that road. And I said, I have the incredible blessing of my wife and four daughters. The blessing of a community of faith around me. I think God sometimes steers us away from the things that we're going to hold on to the most. But there's still plenty enough things that we do hold on to. We need to let go of those things and hold tight to Jesus. Think about what the great commandment calls us to. We read it in Matthew 22, where Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We love God with all that we are. It's a call to love God wholeheartedly, to let go of anything else in your life that's going to stop you from loving God. It's calling us to focus in on God with our whole life. And when we do that, the conversation changes around us. We see that as Peter and John are having this dialogue. It's not about how dare you do this to us. Instead, hey, thanks for the opportunity. Guess who Jesus is? We're also called to a second commandment, right? We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
Let go of anything that keeps you from loving God and loving your neighbor. Let's go back to the passage of Scripture we're looking at this morning. Peter and John are challenged by the religious leaders as they ask, I think it's in verse 7, by what power or what name did you do this? Now, that question isn't an open question. They're looking at one of, they think there's only two answers, the leaders do. God, Yahweh, or the devil. That's the only possible sources that this miracle would have come from in their minds. And so Peter and John answer the group. I love first how they point out how ridiculous this whole thing is. They say, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, <laughs> like, I mean, I just love how they point out how ludicrous this is. You're getting mad at us for healing someone? Really? That's what's holding you up? But when you're holding on tight to something, you don't notice always how crazy you are in seeing things a certain way. And they continue in verse 10. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. And then they say, by what name? It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. They didn't choose option A or B. They gave option C. It's Jesus. And I love how they don't just say, oh, we did it in the name of Jesus. But they said, we did it in the name of Jesus who was raised from the dead. They tell them why it's important. They take the opportunity to slip the truth in there, to preach the truth. They're not scared or intimidated. They're willing to preach no matter what the cost. And they don't stop there. They continue to change the conversation even more. When we hold on to Jesus and the world's holding on to other things, we need to change the topic from what they want to talk about. And we're allowed to do that. We don't know, I don't know why, but somehow we sometimes think the world can dictate what we're allowed to talk about. Why do we care? Why does that stop us from talking about Jesus' love for people? That's what they need to hear. Why do we let it stop us? Maybe we're holding on too tight to what other people think about us, to what the world thinks of us. So Peter and John change the topic, and they shift the focus to Jesus. And they continue. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Now, that passage about the cornerstone is a quote from Psalm 118. But do you notice the change that they make in it? Psalm 118 says, the builders. They change it to, you builders. They make it a little more personal, shall we say. And then they continue. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 
When we hold on to Jesus, we don't have to let the world dictate the rules of the conversation. When we're not worried how the world will respond to us, we're freed up to preach Jesus. When we're not worried about the consequences from the world and what, they, and what people will think, we're freed up to preach Jesus. When we're willing to surrender any reputation, any freedom, any sense of wealth and power or purpose that is not Jesus, we're freed up to preach Jesus. When we're not holding on to our life tight, but are holding on to Jesus, we're free to preach Jesus in any and all circumstances, and God works in that. We mentioned earlier that Peter had been preaching, and people were coming to faith. We read in verse 4 that many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Add in the women and children, the church is growing. People respond to the gospel one way or the other. Some will respond positively saying, yes, I need that because they've realized holding on tight to things in this world doesn't give them the results they want. It doesn't give them the help and peace and hope that we all need. But others keep trying and they want to hold on and they get upset and they get threatened. That hasn't changed, my friends. It happened in Acts 4. It'll happen today still. We know this. The Bible tells us the good news of Jesus, of God's love for us, is a threat to many. But there's many others who will respond. But you know what? Even those who reject us, when we're all in on Jesus and not holding tight to the things of this world, we become open to the working of the Spirit in our lives. And I believe the Spirit speaks to us and He speaks through us. And the world changes, even those who are opposed. I believe the Spirit starts undermining what they're holding on to. Now you might say, Mike, it's great to say preach Jesus, but Mike, I don't know what to say. I'm not an expert. I, I don't know theology well enough. I don't read my Bible enough. I don't pray enough. I'm a hypocrite. Anybody else feel like that ever? Do you realize what you're doing when you give those kind of excuses? We're holding on too tight. I need to have this much knowledge before I can speak about Jesus. I need to be an expert on this before I speak about Jesus. I need to be a better speaker. Hey, it worked for Moses. We need to let go of those things. You're holding on too tight to our cultural sense that we need to be proficient and experts in something. We're told in Scripture that the Spirit will give us words if we'll let the Spirit speak and work in us. And you don't need to be an expert of everything. You just need to tell your story. 
And if you want to be an expert, well, that's what you're the expert on. You're the expert on your story of what God has done in your life. Nobody knows that story better than you. That's yours to tell. Here's why I love Jesus and what Jesus means to me. And you might think it's crazy, but I don't care. Because I love Jesus and my life has been changed and here's how. And you know what? You're part of a community. And if they say, well, what's your answer to this question? You can say, that's a great question. Let's go find that answer together because I don't know. doesn't bug me not knowing that, but let's go figure that out if that helps you. And we can do this thing called community and work through this together. The witness of the church hinges on our letting go of control in our life and trusting God to empower us, to work through us by the power of his spirit. That, my friends, is called faith. And you do not have faith if you're trying to hold on to everything and control everything yourself. There's no faith. When we wholeheartedly love Jesus, we share him in word and action, no matter what the world may think or do, no matter what we may think or wish to do, we follow Jesus where he leads us. We set aside the distractions of the world, and it means at times we'll be inconvenienced. It means at times we'll be challenged. At other times we'll be rejected, and we may even be persecuted. But every time we face one of those things, we can choose to let go and hold on to Jesus instead. And through the Holy Spirit work in us. Are you there? Are you willing to let go and trust Jesus? For the first time, maybe? Or is this something you need to do every day? Again and again. I know for me, it's a constant battle in this world. You know, Jesus made this incredible statement in Matthew 10. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And their life, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. To find the life God wants you to have, you've got to let go. Your hands are so tight holding on to things, you can't grab on to what God has for you. And I'm not saying it's going to be an easy life living God's way in this world. We pay a price in this world. But that is something the early church didn't mind doing. Because they knew that God's kingdom was bigger than this life. That there's an eternal picture beyond the here and the now. And that what we're looking at is being with God in eternity and not just today and tomorrow. And that it's worth living God's way in this world even when we pay a price. Because it's also a life that changes the world. People come, through, come to faith through that witness. 
And by wholeheartedly loving Jesus, the world sees Jesus more clearly. Some respond well, others won't let go of what they hold on to. After Peter and John were arrested, we see the leaders debate among themselves about what they were going to do. They want to stop them from preaching because it's a threat. And they can't deny the healing that happened, so they're threatening the disciples. Which Peter and John just say, yeah, that's not going to happen. Like, there's, there's no power over them. There's nothing they can threaten them with. There's nothing they can take away from them. Because the one thing they're holding on to, they can't touch, and that's Jesus. Everything else in this world that this world has to offer can be taken from you. Your health, your reputation, your wealth, your family. If you don't believe me, read the book of Job. But the one thing that cannot be taken from you is the love of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And we're told that these leaders could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. They don't know what to do because God's working in the world and they're not willing to recognize it because it doesn't fit their box. And what did Peter and John do after they're released? I think this is so crucial and so important and needs to be foundational to our church each and every day. They gathered with the community of faith and prayed. You want to let go of this world and hold on to Jesus? Start by rooting yourself in prayer. Here's part of their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. How many of you would be praying, God, you heard they threatened me. Protect me from it. Protect me from it. Isn't that what we would pray? Isn't it about me? Because that's what our world does. It makes it all about me. And yet for the disciples, it's, hey, Jesus, you've heard the threats. Can you make it so we can preach even more bold? Because for them, it's all about Jesus. And they continue praying, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You know, I I wonder if our prayer life was less about me and more about others, if we wouldn't see more miracles and signs and wonders in in our world and in our culture. And I need to tell you, the lack of them in North America is not the norm for Christianity globally. Signs and miracles and wonders still happen today regularly. I think they happen in North America. We just don't see them or pay attention to them or give credit to God for them. 
But globally, the church knows that God is still at work healing people and, co- and doing miracles. This community of faith prays for Jesus to be proclaimed in word and action. Is that our prayer? Is that your prayer for your life? Are you wholeheartedly following Jesus? You might say yes, but i got to tell you, this is a tough thing to do in our world. This is the journey of discipleship. This isn't a one day, okay, I'm all in today and that's good. This is a struggle in this world for us each and every day. And we have to choose daily, throughout the day, to let go of that which we're holding on to and hold on to Jesus. Now, if I told you there's a shortcut to this, who'd want to know it? Because there is. There's a shortcut to letting go of this world and holding on to Jesus. Does anybody want to know? Got a couple hands? We got three people who want to know? I thought we'd at least have five. Wow. (laughs) You only have to look to the persecuted church. Where the church is persecuted, the church holds on to Jesus because they don't have a choice. Either you follow Jesus or you don't. You either choose to face persecution for what you believe or you walk away. One of the biggest hindrances to faith in North America is that we seem to think our faith is culturally acceptable. And I think the mistake we make is our religion is on some level culturally acceptable. Being a disciple of Jesus is a threat to the status quo of our world, even here in North America, as we love God with all that we are and love our neighbor as ourselves, It is a force that undermines the status quo of a world that is self-focused and desires to control everything around them. And perhaps what the church in North America needs is what the global church knows far too well, that the world opposes it and is willing to persecute it still today. There are believers who die for their faith daily. They've let go of everything, including their own life, and in Jesus they found it in glory. So what are you holding on to this morning? We're all holding on to something, I'm pretty sure. Maybe you say, oh, Mike, I've got it. I'm good. Maybe you're holding on to your pride of your faith a little too tight. Maybe you need to be willing to examine your heart a bit more. For a lot of us, We're holding on to guilt and shame. We don't feel good enough. We don't feel like Jesus can love us or forgive us for what we've done. If that's you, 
Let go of that, please. And hold on to Jesus because he died on a cross for you. He modeled what it means to let go of life. And to bring something amazing out of it. So let go of the shame that this world puts on you and you put on yourself. And hold on to the life we find in Jesus. Give it to him today. Let's lose our life in this world to find it in Jesus each and every day. Let's bow in prayer. Jesus, we come as followers of you, and you modeled for us what it means to lay down your life for another. Help us to lay down our life for you to live in this world for you, to be a light in the darkness of this world, to show what it means to hold on to Jesus and not unhold on to this world. And help us to stand strong, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes on you when our world is so complacent and when we're tempted to be pulled into that. Help us to hold on to you and stand strong and be a light for you when persecution comes on us. Help us to decide each and every day that we've decided to follow Jesus, to not turn back. Lord, help us to be open to your spirit working in us and speaking through us. And to you be all glory. Amen.